We are in 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Last week we talked about um, modesty. That was a whole lot of fun as well. Uh, so, you know, there's some things here in this book that a lot of times as pastors, it's like, Lord, I don't want to talk about that. Can I talk about that another time? And the Lord says, you know, son, you start, you start skipping and picking and choosing what suits you, then where does that stop? And we look around us and we see where that stops. It doesn't stop. It just makes it easier to pick and choose just a little bit more until the next thing you know, preachers all across America are not preaching the truth. And you know what? Sometimes they say, well, this is just, we pick and choose our battles. You ever heard somebody say that? People who say we pick and choose our battles, eventually you wonder which ones they're picking because you just don't see many battles that people are fighting. Well, that's just not a hill to die on. I get it. There are things in the Bible that are not hills worth dying on. But at the same token, here's the honest truth, folks. Some of the, some of the battles that have been chosen as not worth fighting are very much at the heart and the root of our nation's dysfunction, our nation's debauchery. We are in a mess, folks. And what we're talking about here tonight, the teaching that's clear in the Word of God is certainly maybe not the root of it all, but it's at the heart of it, of much of it. And uh, it, it's a very important truth. I was talking to um, one of the brothers this afternoon about this lesson, and he reminded me of the Little Rascals. Remember Little Rascals and Spanky? They had the He-Man Woman Haters Club. <laughs> well, we don't have a He-Man Woman Haters Club around here, okay? But let's read what the Word of God says in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, and uh, let's go ahead and... Um, and pick up a little bit of the text where we left uh, that we covered last week. Verse number eight, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner. We talked about this last week, how that the modesty of a woman is basically telling the whole world, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian. It demonstrates just like a, a man out there praying in public everywhere, lifting up holy hands and, and calling upon God. It demonstrates to everyone around that, hey, that's a person of faith. That's someone who identifies with Jesus Christ. In the same manner, you ladies have an opportunity to be a billboard for Jesus Christ, a billboard for the gospel to demonstrate through your modesty that, hey, I'm identifying as a Christian. So many Christian ladies, they, they would rather identify with the fashions of this world. They would rather look sensual than to look holy. And I think that that's a travesty, and it's not just in the world today, but it's also in the church in like manner, verse 9, also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And so if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, you can, uh, you can 
get this uh, sermon from last week on our website or ask the guys back there in the sound booth. They'll be happy to make a copy of it for you. But we continue with something that's connected to the modesty issue, and that is the feminist movement. Verse number 11 says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Don't you find it interesting that the, the, the apostle that said the most about feminism is the apostle who wasn't married? I think that there's no coincidence in that. And I think that probably the reason being is because we can trust that what Paul is teaching us comes directly from God. He's not a frustrated husband who's just irritated at his wife and decides, hey, I'm just going to tell everybody that, hey, women need to be quiet and they need to submit to their husbands. Paul didn't have any personal gain in teaching this. And so, well, I'm not saying that, I mean, Peter was married and he taught the same thing, but he did it just a little bit differently. Paul was very direct in this teaching. Let the woman learn in silence with all of uh, subjection. Verse 12, but I suffer not or I allow not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Let's pray. Father, bless this time that we have together as we look at the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the answers to everything in life. This book here is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice, and we ask you, Lord, to lead us and guide us, and Lord, I ask you personally and publicly that you'd help me to teach this principle faithfully, uh, straightforward, uh, Lord, but with compassion and with an understanding heart. May the Holy Spirit of God be our, our, our guide and our leader tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first of all, let me talk about the feminist movement. And so, as I've already said, I, I am against the feminist movement. Uh, why? Because I'm a Bible-believing Christian. That doesn't mean that there weren't some good things that came out of the feminist movement. Depending on uh, who you talk to, there has been either three or up to five main feminist movements in our country. And, and listen, just because I'm against the feminist movement does not mean that I'm a misogynist or that I practice misogyny, and I've been practicing to say that word. I thought I did pretty well. Amen? Well, give me a hand or something. Thank you. Misogyny is an aversion, a prejudice, or even a hatred of women. I don't have any of that toward you ladies or ladies because of their gender. Uh, listen, if anybody, I, listen, I grew up with a mom and three older sisters. And my dad was often gone, especially when I was young. He was a long-haul truck driver. And so for the most part, I was a little boy trapped among women. 
And my youngest sister was five years older than me. And so anyhow, you got a mom and three older sisters, and you're the baby of the family. And so if anybody would grow up having an issue with women, it would be yours truly. But I love my sisters, and I love my mom, so I'm very thankful for ladies. And you know what? I married a woman, and I'm very proud of that. I highly recommend to all of you men that you marry a woman. <laughs> Isn't it ridiculous that you even would say it that way today? Nobody in any sane generations of the past would even consider anything different. But you know what? There, out of these four or five waves of feminist movement in America, not everything about this movement was evil. Here's some of the major points. Number one, suffrage. Suffrage is the right to vote. Don't you find it interesting that voting is associated with a word like suffrage that sounds like suffering? I know whenever I vote, I suffer. I suffer if the guy that I voted for loses. I suffer if the guy I voted for wins. <laughs> In one way or another, there's going to be suffering when it comes to voting. But the word suffrage has to do with voting. It's a Latin word. And that movement, there was a time in America where you ladies did not have the right to vote. And listen, I, even though I'm a Bible-believing preacher and everything that we just read in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, verses 9 through 15 I agree with, I believe it with all of my heart, I have no problem with ladies voting. In fact, I think that you ought to have the right to vote because what goes on in this country, this is a fairly new concept in all of human history that we get to vote on our leader. It's never been that way. Usually it's always been whoever's part of the monarchy and so you inherit that privilege to lead, or it's whoever has the power, whatever king could muster up a big enough army to defeat everybody else, then they get to be in charge. That's the way that it's always been. And God certainly has, has put kings up and he's taken kings down. But to be able to vote on your leaders, that's just a very new and interesting thing. I, I appreciate the privilege that we have. I, I like it. I think that it's a good thing. But I also know that it's also kind of a, a crazy thing when you think about it. We don't always make the right decisions, do we? And many times we get stuck with a leader who just happened to have a little bit more popularity or charisma, and it had nothing to do with his policy or his wisdom or his leadership ability, or hers, I guess I should say. And so I, I agree, and just let this be known, I think that all of you ladies should have the right to vote. If I got the right to vote, you certainly ought to have the same. The second thing that came out of the feminist movement that was positive was dealing with domestic violence. I, you know, it, has, it hasn't always been as stigmatized uh, domestic violence in the home. There was a time in America where it was common enough and it was just somewhat accepted. Listen, guys, it is never acceptable 
to be physically abusive to your wife or any other woman for that matter. I, I think you're a big stinking coward and you ought to pick on somebody your own size. You know, it, it, I just think that it's pitiful for a man to hit a woman or his wife. It shows a very weak man, a very cowardly man, and it ought not ever be justified. Well, she did this or she did that. Look, I understand that arguments and fusses get heated and people lose their temper, but don't ever resort to physical violence, ever. It is not acceptable. And so I think that in our culture today, that has been stigmatized. That is a positive thing that came from the feminist movement. I hope I'm not making any of you uncomfortable here tonight. And if you're a wife beater, then just repent. You know, and, and wives, you don't have to put up with it. When he's asleep at night, take the rolling pin to him. Or a frying pan or a two-by-four. Let some of us guys know we will, get, we will gang up on him and beat the tar out of him for you. I know that doesn't always solve every problem, but just cut me a little bit of slack and let me talk like a man for a few minutes, okay? All right, now I'll start talking like a preacher again. Sexual harassment. You know, World War II changed our culture in a drastic way. So many of our boys went off to war and we had to fuel the, uh, the war by putting the ladies in the factories in order to produce the war machinery and all of the things that were needed because so many of our young men were off fighting in Europe and in the, uh, the Japanese front or theater, I should say. And so the, the ladies had to go to work. It was... It was a necessity, not only to uh, provide for the needs, because soldiers didn't get paid that much, but also because just stuff had to be done. And so what happened after World War II, that everybody got used to the two-income homes, and it became the norm especially in blue-collar communities, and so the ladies didn't go back home and go back to being homemakers, but all of a sudden they were earning a living just like the men were. And listen, regardless of where you're at, I understand that two-income families are sometimes necessary, and I don't, I don't preach it or teach it as being sinful, but I will say this to you, that God's way is for the ladies to be keepers at home. And you're going to be better off at home raising your children rather than farming them out to daycare or to grandparents. And they, they would be a whole lot better off with mama. Once again, something that most preachers aren't going to say or even talk about because it makes you uncomfortable, it makes them uncomfortable. And it is so upstream from the culture and what is the accepted norm. But as a pastor who cares about you young families, I would encourage you to do everything you can to be a mom and a homemaker and dad go out and work. You know, there's a lot of people that if they really sat down and did the economics of it, they would find out that they're really not gaining that much by the time that they have to 
pay for two cars and all that goes with that, the clothing and the gas and everything to go out and work that job, they could probably get by on a whole lot less if they didn't have to deal with all of that. I say they, maybe I should say you. And so sometimes if you sit down and just do the accounting and the math, you might find out that for what we are sacrificing, we're really not gaining very much. And if we just made just a slight sacrifice in our standard of living, we would make up for it enormously in our quality of living. And so that's always something to consider. Uh, Reproductive rights, obviously, that's associated with the abortion issue. That is a negative aspect of the feminist movement, and it's a shame. I'm so glad that our Supreme Court overturned that as a law of the land, but that doesn't mean that abortions are illegal in this country. It just means that it's up to each state whether or not to legalize abortion or not. That was a great ruling. I hope that it survives. I hope that it sticks. But at the same token, its states need to get back to a biblical perspective. And then, of course, equality. Uh, My opinion, and this is all I can do is give you my opinion, is that I, I believe my opinion is that women should get equal pay for equal work. If you do the same job as a man and you do it just as well, I think that it is unfair and unjust for an employer to pay you less because you're a woman. They ought to be paying for the job, not for the person that is doing the job. And so that's just my opinion. So having said all of that, remember Proverbs 31? We're we're talking about it on Wednesday night. If you read Proverbs 31... Just because the Bible teaches that you ladies ought to be homemakers and you ought to be there for your children and so forth, that doesn't mean that you can't be industrious. That that, uh, uh, virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, she would take and she would make things and then she would sell it and then she would buy a field. She was entrusted with her own stewardship and managing her own finances because the heart of her husband did safely trust in her. And she's doing everything she can in order to take care of her household, whatever means that she has. She had the, not only the privilege, but the liberty to be industrious with that. She wasn't lazy. She was hardworking and she was frugal and she did everything she could to take care of her husband and her household. And so, yeah, there's some positive things that came out of the feminist movement and some negative things, but look at verse number, uh, number um, where am I at here? Verse number 11 once again. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, why is that? Verse 13 explains it. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. And so while there is an authority structure and God lays it out there that men have the position of leadership, the, the ladies, you ladies are not supposed to be 
the primary leaders in your home or in your church or even in this nation. I'm not saying that women couldn't do a better job than men. A lot of what we're dealing with in our culture today is not really you ladies' fault, it's you men's fault. And, and I say that very loosely. I'm not talking about you personally, but us men in general, sometimes it's because men have been derelict in their responsibility and they've not been well, willing to step up to the plate and be the leader that they ought to be. And so in many cases, ladies get stuck with filling in those gaps and doing what's necessary. And so the whole thing has just spiraled further downward. It's not always because women are being feminazis, as Rush Limbaugh called them. But sometimes it's just because men are being a bunch of knuckleheads and losers. And just, you know, people say, well, what about Deborah? Deborah was a judge uh, over the nation of Israel. True. But you read the book of Judges and you find that everything in the nation of Israel was pretty dysfunctional during that time. There were no men to step up to the plate. And so God used what he could, and he found Deborah, who was righteous and had wisdom. I would rather, listen, we're talking about suffrage and voting. I'll just tell you right up front, if there's a wise, righteous woman running for president, as opposed to a loser man, I'm going to vote for the woman. Now, I think it's a shame, and I think it's sad. But I would rather have one that has ethics and integrity rather than a man who doesn't have any of those things. There are some things that are more important than just those gender things. Now, would I say that that's the way that God designed it to be? Absolutely not. It would be a sad shame. But sometimes in a nation, you have to do the best that you can with what you've got to work with. Just like sometimes you ladies, you need to work a job in order to help out and to take care of the needs in your home. Doesn't mean that it's sinful. It just means that you're having to do something that is not God's primary design for you and for your home. All right, so having said all that, let me get to my notes here. There's a couple things. What about women preachers? What about women preachers? The fun continues. Well, we just read clearly in the scripture that the woman is not supposed to teach or to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. That's what the scripture says. I didn't write it. I'm just trusting that God knows a whole lot better than what we know. In 1 Corinthians 14, you can turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen to me read it. It's up to you. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 34 says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians 14, that speaking, is talking about two different things. The speaking in tongues 
and that word of knowledge. Back in the early Bible days, they didn't have a completed canon of the Scripture, and so the Holy Spirit was still revealing things. They had all kinds of decisions and things that they're trying to navigate with the grace of God and the gospel and what Paul had been teaching and what Peter had been teaching. They didn't have it all figured out, and in their church services, the Holy Spirit would actually move somebody with the spirit of knowledge, and so they would stand up and they would say what the Lord had revealed to them about a particular subject. That was part of the early church. Now, I'm not saying there's no application of that today. I think that there are times when it's not just the pastor who has some words of wisdom or knowledge from God that's applicable to a particular topic. But I am saying this, that primarily, in probably 99% of the cases, we have the answers right here in the Scripture, and the early church did not have that. But Paul said that, you ladies, it's not permitted for you to speak. It's for the men. If you want to learn anything or if you have something to add, then go home with your husband and talk to them. I'm going to confess to you that there are things in ministry that I haven't always had a handle on. I haven't always had wisdom and understanding. And sometimes my wife and I will talk about certain things and she will actually help me with a lady's perspective and intuition that some of us men are lacking in. And so that is you ladies' strength. You have an emotional, you get a feeling about things. But let me say, ladies, that strength is also your weakness. You will get a good feeling that sometimes comes from the Holy Spirit, but you can also get deceptive feelings, and that's exactly what happened with Eve in the garden, and that is the weakness. When the Bible says that husbands should give honor unto the wives as the weaker vessel, that is not saying that you ladies are inferior. It's just saying that you need the man's protection, men need to step up to the plate and be spiritual leaders and protectors and heads of the home and have the wisdom that we need from the Word of God in order to navigate all the decisions of our family. Men need to do that because sometimes we're able to, we can, we can sometimes be very insensitive. It's just black and white. It's numbers. This is right. This is wrong. Sometimes ladies you feel a little bit different. That can be good, but that can be bad. And that's why men need to step up to the plate, and ladies, according to the Scripture, you need to trust God and be in subjection and in submission to your husbands. Acts 18, verse 26, talking about uh, Apollos, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla heard, they took him, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Priscilla and Aquila both, it says, they helped out with some scriptural knowledge and understanding. Ladies, you are not inferior in your role. You're just not supposed to be up here preaching or teaching men usurping authority over them, you're supposed to be in subject, subjection. Some of you ladies are Sunday school teachers with the children. 
Some of you are some of the best Sunday school teachers that I've ever known or seen. You are well within your God-given right teaching those children, and, um, but not up here in the pulpit. Now, some people have said, does that mean that ladies can't give their salvation testimony or praise or worship the Lord? Absolutely not. The context is not saying that you ladies can't give a word of praise or testimony. Doesn't mean, listen, we've had ladies come up here and give their salvation testimony. That is all perfectly fine. But to stand and to represent the word of God and to teach and to usurp authority over the man the scripture clearly teaches against it. And whether, some people say, well, some of these women can do a better job than the men. I mean, what about, there are some ladies that are very gifted in their speaking. But what happens if you follow that logic in every situation? If somebody has a gift to do something, does that mean that, that God wants them to do it? Think about that. You know, Hitler was very gifted in being a dictator, right? I mean, he was, I mean, he was, it was supernatural how gifted that he was. Well, it must have been God's will for him to be the world dictator and to do, no, that's ridiculous. Just because you can do something well doesn't mean that you have God's endorsement on doing it. There's a lot of people who can do a lot of things well, and you'd say they're very gifted, but it ain't something that God has anything to do with. So we need to remember the Bible does not teach pragmatism. The Bible teaches yielding to the will of God. All right, 1 Peter chapter number 3. Turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Verse number seven says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. The authority structure in the home between the husband and the wife, between men and women, it is all relevant to the Holy Spirit. And as a man, as a husband, it is my God-given responsibility to dwell with my wife according to knowledge. That means I need to know her. I, I always say this, I need to know what makes her tick, and I need to know what makes her ticked. You know, there's some things that's just, some of you ladies just have buttons, you know. Some of you ladies, it looks like Houston, Houston, we have a problem. There's buttons everywhere. I can't even move without accidentally touching a button. <laughs> I get it. It's not an excuse for you ladies to <laughs> always have your, <laughs> your buttons out there. But at the same token, we need to understand that as a man, as a husband, I need to try to understand her. Thank you, Lord. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing does not mean nothing. Nothing means you've stepped in it and you just, I'm just not ready to tell you what it was just yet, but I'm getting around to it. 
You just wait. And then there's, what's the matter, honey? Nothing. I don't know. Because sometimes she don't know. And you have to figure it out. Good luck with that. (laughs) Dwell with her according to knowledge. Giving honor. Giving honor. Listen, men, just because God established it this way does not make us superior and her inferior. It means we have roles and responsibilities that are different than her roles and responsibilities. And I, last time I checked, God's our creator. I think he knows a little bit more about human nature than we do. He even knows more than Oprah and Dr. Phil. That may surprise some of you, but he does. He definitely does. Now, I want to wrap things up here tonight. I wanted to be done by now, but it'll just take me a few more minutes. Isaiah chapter 3, let me read this to you. Isaiah chapter 3 and verse number 12 says, As for my people, children are their oppressors. Boy, we see that in modern culture today in America. Children are the oppressors. We're living in a time where... Everything revolves around the children. Uh, The World War II generation, children are to be seen and not heard. And of course, many of those grew up and they, you know, whether it be that generation or the baby boomers or whatever, it's like the, the culture, thanks to Hollywood and media and so forth, they started making people feel like that they were victims. You know, well, I didn't, I I thought I was happy as a child, but now I found out somebody reprogrammed me and showed me that I was actually a victim and that I was abused because, you know, I'd get wore out if I got caught lying to my parents or whatever the case may be. I was You know, I just felt like I was oppressed and I couldn't be myself. That's because there was a time when everything didn't revolve around the children. Well, everything in our culture today revolves around the children. And what happens is children have become the oppressors. And you've got parents that always just feel guilty. They resort to manipulation. They train their kids to be master manipulators, and guess what? It all bleeds over into the pulpit, and so pastors and preachers resort to manipulation because they're not getting the results. I refuse to believe that the Word of God... Listen, if you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, male or female, then I believe that we have no problem responding to what thus saith the Lord. Now, when I present it to you, I want to do it in a very straightforward, direct manner, but I want to do it with some kindness. And, I, I, you know, I, there are some things here that God says that we're supposed to teach and exhort with all authority and doctrine. In fact, in this morning's text, it said, let no man despise thee. Whether you like this or not, and that doesn't mean that you can't despise the preacher. Many do despise the preacher. But Paul's telling Timothy, look, if they despise you, just don't let it affect you. Keep on preaching and teaching what the truth is. As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. 
O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. And that's what's happened. Children are the oppressors, the oppressors, they set the tone and the stage. And then women have become the ones that are in charge and are ruling. And it doesn't go in a right direction. I don't care how good of a woman that you are, if you're put in that position of authority and you start taking charge, you're going to make some decisions that are not good, godly decisions. It's just the way that you're wired. Doesn't mean that men won't make the same mistakes, but as a gender basis, According to the word of God, men stand a better chance of not being deceived by the devil than you ladies do. Go to Titus chapter number 2. Two more places and I'm almost done here. Titus chapter number 2. And verse number 3. Titus 2 verse number 3 says, The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. That's, listen, I'm not being old-fashioned. I'm being biblical here, okay? Keepers at home, good obedient to their own husbands. What's it say at the last of that verse? That the word of God be not blasphemed. If we follow culture, if we follow Oprah, what they're, what they're teaching us in our culture today, here's what we're doing. We're saying, God, you don't know better. These Professors at the university, these psychologists, these authors in the Christian bookstore, they're smarter than you, God. We're going to follow them. Because after all, they're telling us what we want to hear all along to begin with. And what happens is we, not intentionally, I don't think intentionally, but we end up blaspheming the Word of God. And I think that between that and about half a dozen other things that the Christian community has caved in to the ways of the world, it's no secret that the power of the gospel and the power of the word of God has been neutralized. It's just nullified because people's hearts, it's like everybody got a vaccine to the word of God. We hear it. Yeah, we're a fan of it, but it never does sink in. We never really truly take it to heart. Why? Because that word of God is being blasphemed. My last thing here is back in our text, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. This is uh, definitely a controversial text that uh, I have to confess I don't understand everything about it. I've heard some teachings that I, I think are, I've heard some emphatic teachings that are a stretch of what's being said. I've heard some controversy out of this passage of Scripture. I'm going to give you my take, and then you can do whatever you want with it. 
But let's read it. Verse number 15 says, notwithstanding, excuse me, we need to read verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, we know from Genesis 3.16 that part of God's, I guess we could call it a curse, when sin entered into the world and, uh, you know, Adam said, the woman that thou givest me, and the woman said, well, the serpent, he beguiled me. The consequences of their sin was, number one, the man is going to have to earn his living by the sweat of his brow. There's going to be thorns. The, the ground's not going to yield as good as it did before, and so you're going to have to work really, really hard in order to eat. But he said to the woman that you're going to, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Boy, that's a text. I, you know, of everything that I've read thus far, I guarantee you the feminists really hate that verse, right? Well, God's just saying how, how it's going to be. And so I think there's a connection to verse 15 with Genesis 3.16. But as, let me just point out a couple things. When it says, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing... Number one, that's not talking about the salvation of your soul. Number two, it's not talking about you not having complications with your pregnancy. Listen, you can be walking with the Lord, you can be living righteously, you can be perfectly right with God, and you can be delivering a child. And listen, I have known good Christian godly women who had a health problem, and they ended up losing their life in childbearing. I don't believe that that's what it's talking about when it says she shall be saved in childbearing. What I do believe that it's talking about is that uh, it says she shall be saved in childbearing if they, that's the husband and wife, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, what are they being saved from? They're being saved from deception because that's the context. She shall be saved in childbearing. I, I, I don't understand the complete connection there between deception and childbearing. I've thought about this. I've read about half a dozen commentaries and I, I think there could be, and this is just a possibility. Listen, when... When mama has babies, you've heard of maternal instincts, right? Maternal instincts are strong. It, you know, whether it's a woman expecting with child or a woman who has young'uns, those maternal instincts are strong and they are powerful and they can be very aggressive. We, we don't call, talk about mama bear for no reason. And I think that when that happens in a home, in a marriage relationship, I've seen this, that those maternal instincts end up being the dictating factor in everything that goes on in the home. 
And that's why the Holy Spirit is reminding you ladies, look, you and your husband, you need to continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, with some seriousness here. Ladies, you need to be in subjection to your husband because even your maternal instincts, Satan is going to use those against you and he can tempt you to, if you're in, if you're in charge, your maternal instincts are going to dictate the decisions in your home and those aren't always going to be according to the will of God. Those maternal instincts can cause you to have a spirit of fear and mistrust because you're wanting to protect your young'uns, whereas your husband is like, you know what, they're okay. We just need to trust the Lord. And so I'm not saying I'm hitting the bullseye in my understanding of this verse, but I do believe that everything that I just said in the last few minutes is certainly connected and relevant to the study at hand. You may have some other things that the Lord's shown you out of verse number 15, but the bottom line, there is enough in this passage of Scripture for us to know without any fear of contradiction that feminism and all that is accepted in modern culture is not according to the Bible. We can't change the culture of our nation, but listen, as believers, we can make sure that our culture, our, the culture of our church and of our homes is directed by the scripture rather than by the world around us. I hope you've been helped here tonight. I hope you've been edified. Uh, I hope that uh, any, any lady who watches this or listens to this on live stream, I hope you understand that uh, none of this was against ladies. All of this is intended to help. And while we understand from experience and just from common sense that probably there's many, many people out there uh, that would uh, despise us for what we're saying, rest assured, we're just simply following the Word of God. I didn't write this book, but I'm accountable to it. I believe this is the words of God, and we're going to stick with it.